Jericho Road is a podcast and a Sunday school class and a ministry of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Birmingham, Alabama. These days, we're looking at the world of Jesus as it is told by the Gospel of Mark. We hope you'll join us. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Jericho Road. We're here in Season 3 where we're looking at the world of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And last episode, Jesus just drops out of the sky in time to proclaim that God's time was fulfilled, which was something they'd never heard before. The Hebrew people always believed that time would end one day, and that would be called the day of the Lord. But now Jesus is dropping uh, literally into their world, saying that heaven is not something you've got to wait on, but rather is right under their noses. And if anyone wondered what Jesus could have meant, they were going to see it today on a Sabbath day in Capernaum. Now, before we get there, I want to tell you there's a little bit of a drama, a bit of drama going on in Galilee these days. It all started with the uncovering of a first century synagogue at a place called Magdala. It was really groundbreaking. Back in 2009, a Roman Catholic order began construction on a hotel on the shore of the lake. And you need to understand that holy places or holy land places are also places that are shared by everyday people living in that part of the world. And so the Sea of Galilee is not only still a commercial fishing spot like it was in Jesus' day and a place of pilgrimage as it is now, but it's also a place for people to go in the summertime and ski. So they were building a hotel right there on the shore of the lake, a good real estate, and they uncovered this first century synagogue which is absolutely world-shattering because Capernaum itself has been archaeologically uncovered, and there is a synagogue there, but the first-century synagogue has been covered up by a later Roman synagogue, which is also important, and you can't bust it up. You can't get to it. But what makes the Magdala synagogue so important, and you you can wiki this and look at the picture, is that Jesus prayed there. Jesus taught there. Jesus sat with the elders there and read from the scroll of the law. It is absolutely stunning and fascinating to see a place where the Son of God prayed. And then in the center of the synagogue in Magdala is this mysterious stone that also tells us how they worshiped. Now, we tend to sort of transmute, if you will, our own world onto the world of Jesus, and we probably tend to think that they all worship like we do now. Uh, But worship was a little different in Jesus' day. And what I'm trying to say is that uh, study of the law and prayers would happen every Sabbath in the synagogue, no question. But the worship of God would happen in Jerusalem. And in the case of the Galilee, that would be four or five days walk away. You go to Jerusalem to worship, you study in the synagogue. And so we've got this synagogue now in Magdala where people would study, and yet in the middle is this mysterious little stone called the Magdala Stone, and it's about the size of a footstool, and it is a three-dimensional replica of the temple in Jerusalem. And we're not even sure why or, or for whom it was made or what purpose it would have been used for, except to say that some person traveled to Jerusalem and was so moved by the beauty of holiness, the beauty of the temple, that in their own mind's eye recreated a replica. So we now can see some elements of the temple through the eyes of the, of the carving Absolutely stunning finding, and it points us to what would have happened on a Sabbath morning in a synagogue and also the excitement of a preacher like Jesus. So with this imagination, the synagogue in your mind, in the backs of your minds, 
I want to read this to you. This is just Mark chapter 1, beginning with the 21st verse. Just imagine the scene. They came to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed and kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. A historian named Karen Armstrong has a theory about unclean spirits and demonic possession in the world of Jesus. She writes this. She said, Jesus was born into a world traumatized by violence, which simply means that her thesis is that spirit possession uh, tended to be linked to the experience of people who were under political or economic oppression or any circumstance where people were taken over by a power they couldn't control. Well, that's her thesis, and that's certainly a possibility. Another is that for centuries, Hebrews lived alongside people, their neighbors, who ascribed demonic possession or unclean spirits to lots of things that might hurt them. And so they lived in a world of spirits and warfare. It's how they saw the world. It's how they described what they saw around them. That's another possibility. For my money, though, I think the story is simply true. I think this is an indication of what happens in the kingdom of God, where things that would hurt us or destroy us are driven out by Jesus, by the power, the healing power of Jesus and the healing power of prayer. Speaking of um, demonic possession, I I was newly ordained, I mean, right out of seminary. My shirts were all inky black and a bright new white collar. And I was left in in the church at St. John's in Montgomery for by myself on a Friday, which is always dangerous because weird things would happen when I was left alone. And I was in my office and a woman stepped in and she said, I'm possessed by a demon. Can you cast it out? Well, I just got out of seminary. I thought, sure, what? let's give it a whirl. So I went to the chapel and I found some prayers in the prayer book that I thought might work. And I lit a candle and I began to intone my, my liturgy that I just sort of crafted on the spot. And she stopped me. She interrupted me. She said, excuse me, I'm sorry. This is a Catholic church, isn't it? I said, oh, no, ma'am, no, ma'am, I'm Episcopalian, but I tell you what, let's try it anyway, and if it doesn't take, you can go to the Catholic Church up the street. Well, I never saw her again, so I'd like to think that it worked, but here's my point. If you were to look up exorcisms in Jesus' day, in the world of Jesus or amongst their neighbors, you would see that exorcisms were much like what I tried with the lady who walked into my office. They were long, drawn-out affairs with incantations and all sorts of special places and special clothes and you name it. And yet Jesus simply says here, be silent, come out of him. Six words in English, five words in Greek. In this new kingdom, Jesus is a new king with authority. Now, for a minute, I'm going to take us away from this scene in Capernaum and over to the eastern shore of the lake. What you need to remember is that most of the gospel stories take place in a really, really small place. They take place in the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it's only about 10 miles. And I mean, it all happens over there. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000, the Sermon on the Mount, the call of Peter, the, the make you fishers of men, you name it. But on the eastern shore of the lake, there's an important Bible story that gets by a lot of people, and especially Christian pilgrims going to the Sea of Galilee, they just don't go over there. 
Maybe it's just because it's off the beaten path and it's away from the tour buses. And, and, and maybe even because it's a misnamed little park, the Israeli Parks Department named it the Miracle of the Swine. And maybe that's just not very attractive. So people don't go over there to see it. But what happened there was important and it involves an exorcism. I want to read the story to you and then I'll tell you about the land around it. This is Mark chapter five. We're going to jump over a few stories that we're going to come back to uh, in the next episode. But Mark chapter five, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man of the tombs with an unclean spirit met them. He lived among the tombs and no one could restrain him anymore, even on a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran down and bowed before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Above the tombs in this little park called Cursey, or the Miracle of the Swine, The tombs are there. You can visit them there and you can see where Jesus healed the man. But above the tombs is a city called Hippos, one of the cities we're told of the Decapolis in the Bible. What that simply means is that Hippos was a Greek city-state. It was a trading city that sat on a caravan route. It was established some two centuries before Jesus and it was painted white. There's there's an allusion to Hippos in the Bible that my friend Edan points out that I think is absolutely marvelous. Jesus preached a sermon on the mount on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake on planet Earth. It's 800 feet below sea level, which means it sits in a bowl and everything around it is a mountain. So that the Sermon on the Mount is really the sermon on the bank of the lake. And if you think about how the sun will rise and set east to west in the afternoon, the afternoon sun makes the eastern shore of the lake glow with ambient light. And Hippos, sitting up on the top of the ridge and painted white uh, with this plaster, would have glowed bright white in the afternoon, which would cause Jesus to say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, a city on a hill can't be hid. So Hippos is the city on a hill above the tombs, above where Jesus heals the man of, of, of the demons. All right, now let's keep going with the mystery here. Archaeologists have learned that in Greek city-states, trading centers, if you will, they would use retired soldiers as security guards and to serve on the city watch. See, they weren't Roman cities, per se, so they didn't have automatic Roman army protection. They had to hire these guys out. So they would find legionnaires who didn't have land as a part of their pension deal and would give them sort of a barracks, if you will, on the city walls, complete with a gymnasia where they could wrestle and they could exercise and they could do Roman things. And these are basically 45-year-old men and older who would spend the rest of their days uh, watching the caravans and keeping the peace and being basically the police force for a city like Hippos. So, my friend Edan and other archaeologists have an interesting theory. Remember when Jesus asked the man in the tombs his name? He'd been healed of these demons in his mind, and he says, My name is Legion. My friends believe, and this is as good a theory as, as I can imagine, that the man in the tombs was a legionnaire suffering from PTSD. 
consumed with a lifetime of killing, right, and and clinging to these demons uh, that had the name Legion. A man who was consigned to a life in the tombs because he wasn't fit to live around other people. A man actually tortured and wounded daily by his own psyche. Well, I'd like to paraphrase what happens next. Jesus heals the man, and the demons ask to be put into the swine that are near the scene. Um, Remember, the demons recognize that Jesus has authority, so they beg Jesus for relief, and Jesus sends them into the swine, which run headlong down into the sea. Now, we know that this story happens on the Gentile side of the lake because they have pigs. If you were to do any sort of archaeological work in Capernaum or Magdala, you would never find swine bones. So the presence of pigs tells you that you're far, far away from the world of Jesus, even though you're only across the lake. Well, the healed man begs to be a disciple. He's now of his right mind. He he wants to follow Peter and Andrew and James and John. He wants to sit at the feet of Jesus and be taught. And then also the people living on the eastern shore of the lake want him gone. It's a curious contrast between, say, Capernaum and Cursey, because in Capernaum, Jesus is a rock star. He can't go anywhere without people hounding him. In Cursey, the locals want him gone. In Capernaum, Jesus tells everyone to be silent because they have an incomplete knowledge of who Jesus is. They they don't really understand yet that this kingdom of God with this new king with authority is not someone merely to enact a political revolution, but rather a spiritual, a deeper revolution. They want him to be a general to kick the Romans out of Palestine. Jesus wants to save their souls. In Capernaum, he tells people to be silent. He'll heal them and say, go go present yourself to the synagogue, but don't tell anybody. Here, Jesus tells the man to go. Go tell your family and friends what God has done for you. And he did. We're told in Scripture that he went to the cities of the Decapolis, these Greek city-states that were in a trading partnership with each other, and he went and he he told people just what, what Jesus asked him to do. He was a disciple in his world and in his way, and he told people that Jesus healed him with authority. Now, if we were to read, keep reading Mark's gospel as a whole, we would see this right away. Oftentimes, we miss stories like these because we chop them up in little bits. But I'm going to ask you right now to do yourself a favor and read Mark's gospel when you can from start to finish. Take you about 45 minutes, and you will see things that you would have never seen before, including a drama that involves this man. So, Jesus heals a man from demons in his mind named Legion in Mark chapter 5. Jesus also leaves the eastern shore of the lake because they want him gone. Jesus goes and has other adventures. If you keep reading the story, he feeds 5,000 people back near Capernaum. Uh, He travels a bit to Tyre and Sidon, which is present-day Lebanon. And then in Mark chapter 8, three chapters later, he returns to the eastern side of the lake again, this place formerly where nobody wanted him around, and he feeds 4,000 people. Think of the drama. Mark chapter 5, there's only one a man with demons in his mind living in the tombs. In Mark chapter 8, three chapters later, he feeds 4,000 people on this side of the lake, far, far from the world of Jesus. That man could sell. Back at the park in Kersey, uh, if, if you ever get a chance to take you there, uh, it's, it has a lovely little garden and a caretaker named Nassim. Between two trees, there's a bench, and Nassim is a faithful person. He lives in Galilee, and he says his prayers, and he's a nice, nice man, and he believes that uh, the miracle happened here. 
I remember asking him the question. I said, what did you just say, Nassim? He said, I, I believe it happened here. He put the bench between the trees because he believed that Jesus healed the man here. He said, I feel his energy here. And others do too. Girls who want to be pregnant come and pray here. Families who are worried about the children in the war come and pray here. And people waiting for bops, he come and pray here. And it's fascinating to me that local Galilean people feel the energy of this king who entered into time and told us that the kingdom of God is near. Well, that is the miracle after all. I think they misnamed the park. It's not the miracle of the swine. It's the miracle of God who loves us so much that he came into our world to heal us. It's the miracle of a healed man and a miracle of a healed life. And if God did something once, God will do it again. So here's my thought. I believe that spiritual warfare is real. Oh, we have different words for it. They called it an unclean spirit. We can call it something else. But I believe that there are forces that will harm us and the devil will use our context to divide and wound us any way the devil can. In Jesus' day, they called it demonic possession or an unclean spirit. These days, we have a pandemic to kill us or to kill our spirits or to drive a wedge between us. As a Christian minister, I have presided over funerals of people who've died of COVID to be sure, but also funerals of people more tangential to COVID, perhaps broken hearts, perhaps separated from from loved ones, perhaps broken routines. Here's what we need to remember. In a time when there are forces that would seek to hurt us, the God of heaven and earth knows our name. The God of heaven and earth knows the dreams we had last night. And Jesus will protect us and heal us with authority. Hey, thanks so much, everybody. We'll keep these stories of Jesus going in the next episode of Jericho Road.